The subject for this evening's talk is going somewhere, going nowhere. For some of us, we might say to varying degrees, in our formative and impressionable years, earlier years, we adopted, perhaps rather easily and possibly unquestioningly, a, an idea, a socially agreeable idea, which was founded on certain kind of principles. And these principles, including the view that through knowledge, education, through effort and striving, we would be able to succeed in a particular endeavor and therefore be worthwhile human beings, be able to show various uh, degrees of success both to ourselves, to our peers, and to others, and gain some kind of stature and position in the, in the community, in the society. And what was required, and still is required of us, is the further accumulation of information, a strenuous commitment to striving and learning, the reaching of desirable goals and a sustaining of that effort in that direction. In the accomplishment of particular desirable ends in our special field or fields, that accomplishment has frequently served as the raw material to extend the striving to continue the pursuits for more, whatever form that more may take, and thus continue and sustain an idea, a concept, that doing is what life is. Doing, striving, acquiring in various forms and ways really is what gives life purpose and meaning. And we could effectively say that in our identification with this particular ideology, we have become, to all intents and purposes, human strivings, human havings, human acquirings, human doings, and have forgotten that we are human beings. We see that this ide ideology it's not an ideology which applies to all women and men and children on the earth, but one which is particularly accentuated in our society and culture. Therefore, we might say of this particular idea, it is something which is rooted and maintains the very fabric of the society which you and I live in. When we look at this, if you pick up some of the magaz magazines which are uh, appalling sources of disinformation, 
Time, Newsweek and other such things, you will see in there, in these magazines, the consequences of this striving. The striving in the business community is widespread stress, widespread anxiety, widespread fear, breakdowns. One in three uh, men subjected to a heart attack before the age of 60. All this information is easily and freely available, even in such magazines. And in that, we see that this doing mode grips us, it fascinates us. We create heroes of success, of doing. We elevate them into the megastar status. We feel our life is rather boring and petty compared with their misery. So we might, both at the more gross level, as I just described, but also at other levels of our life, might begin to question our doings. What are we doing with our life? And I think that this question is not an unusual question. I think this question comes out of some kind of res response to situations which are occurring in our life, and we ask ourselves, what are we doing with our life? And when we begin to ever take that kind of, that kind of question really seriously, then the mind, the body, the emotions, the directions, the values, the intentions, and the meanings are all running amok. What are we doing with our life? What we notice sometimes in our stopping and to reappraise our situation as human beings, that in that reappraisal, we might experience, and possibly some of you are right in the midst of this process at the moment, we might ex experience a moment of pausing in which we begin to question the general kind of thrust. What I mean by that is the relationship of my past to my present. As one person said to me today in one of the small groups, it's exaggeration, but it's got a point. The person said, all my life I have spent it in, and then you just add your own word to it. And when one has that kind of response sometimes in inside of oneself, that all my life I have spent, or I have spent in, what that immediately does, it immediately shows us what our life hasn't been spent in, what our life has missed, what it's over overlooked. And then we're faced, sometimes almost in an agonizingly difficult position, my life has been spent and is being spent and may continue to be spent like this, and yet somehow or other, Perhaps all this doing and striving is not what it's all about. Somewhere or other, I'm forgetting I'm a human being. And when we come to that point in our life, when, we, when, we, when we're facing that, and it can be a, like at a crossroads for some, a kind of critical juncture in one's e experience, the most common response to being faced with that, the human response to that, just, just has to be fear, has to be fear. 
Because one's looked at the direction, the flow of one's existence, one's stopped there, and one sees, looks back at the past and sees, well, what has my life been? What's been making it up? And I see that I, the I, the self, the me, the ego, the persona, has been arising somewhat continuously in a very similar situation, and it's brought me to this point. What do I do? And I think this question is so common, and that this arising is taking place so frequently, that quite often there's a kind of mad scramble in one's life, taking place, a frenetic struggle to try to get everything in. Have one's financial life secure and fixed. Very often a high priority. Money is still an enormous taboo for discussion in our society. Touch on that this evening. And then the other areas of our life, our cerebral, our knowledge world, our mental life, our emotional life, our physical life, our, welf our welfare, our contact with the nature, the deeper intimations of wonder and mystery, and the spiritual life with its revelations and, and awakenings. And when we stop and we ask, you know, is my life kind of fixed and stuck in a particular, so stuck that the rest of it is kind of just washed to the sides? And sometimes we, not only do we begin to see that with ourselves, but we begin to see the consequences of, of this ambitiousness this constant human striving, the unbearable consequences to our people and planet. When we begin to look at this mode, sometimes we might begin to change it. We might begin to work with it. The fear itself, I regard fear itself as um, utterly useless. Let's put it more clearly there. An utterly useless event in life. So sometimes a person says, oh no, 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 Christopher, no, 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 I can't accept that. This is, um, if, if I didn't have fear, then it would uh, uh, stop me from, you know, doing something, you know, stupid, climbing up a tree and then jumping into a hornet's nest or something like that. That isn't, that isn't fear which stops a human being from that. That's ordinary common sense. <laughs> so sometimes we kind of rationalize the fears which we have. And I think in that what we're missing and being blind to here, that fear is a factor in the mind, feelings, emotions, memory, perceptions, images, as it were, locked and bound together, and fear as an experience in life is that which stops action. Fear is that which holds us up. And I can't see any use for fear in life. Sometimes we need to stop. Sometimes we need not to act, certainly. But let it be out of observation, not out of a conditioned reaction called fear.
But when we speak of liberation here, when we speak of awakening here, when we speak of wondrous freedom here, we're speaking of it in which fear has ceased to haunt us. So there's a situation. I've reached this juncture in my life. I want to make changes in it. What am I, what, what happens next? The very fear is the fear of something different. I still have the view that I want to go somewhere. All I know at the present is I don't want to go where I've been going because I already know it. Understand? I don't want to keep continuing the old because I know the old. I've been carrying it around the whole of my existence. So I want to go somewhere where that isn't. And that's new and that's different and I'm afraid to go because the known appears more comfortable than the unknown. Better the devil you know, we say in England, than the one you don't know. <laughs> Sometimes we say that in relationships, but anyway. So there's a, a fear, a concern about making a shift. Sometimes we can't make the, the shift of ourselves, the fear has got its grip. Yet human beings are remarkably susceptible and sometimes beautifully vulnerable to each other because one makes contact with those who are or have made such a shift in one's life and somehow we get a hopefully a little bit inspired, a little bit encouraged to make change, to look at what we're imprisoned to. So the feelings and experience of fear and confusion certainly can be there. And when you come on a retreat, and it's just a brief one here, isn't it, just for, for three, three days, that three-day period, you may, may possibly have come in with the intention, a primary intention, for a little peace of mind. I have bad news. <laughs> if you have, you've probably come to the wrong place. This is a place of insight meditation. It's not TM meditation, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, recharge the batteries to go back into repeating history. It's a place for awareness. It's a place of mindfulness, of being a conscious human being and seeing what's actually happening. What are we doing with our life? So sometimes, as I say, we, to find peace, we need to go through, sometimes, the doors of fear and confusion. In that, sometimes it's a difficult, it's an unsettled period. And so, sometimes, as the old story goes, of the person driving along the road. And while driving along, along, along the road, he's, he stops the side of the road and he sees a farmer working in the field and, and the person says to the farmer can you, can you help me? You know, I'm, I'm just, I've got this big map and I've got this direction. Look, what was the name of the place down the road, a few miles down the road there which I just come from? And the farmer 
looks at the driver and said, I don't know. So this driver's rather, you know, confused and said, well, look, look, tell me, what's the name of the next place? You know, what, you know what, what's, what's this road? What's it leading to? What's the place that one's, you know, I'm going towards? What, what's the end of this, this road? And the farmer looks at him and says, I don't know. So the driver says, you know, you don't know the last place. You don't know the next place. And the farmer says, that's right, but I'm not lost. <laughs> so in our relationship to movement of lying, of life, and I said lying there, what's the word? Anyway, in our <laughs> oh, Freud would have a field day. Anyway, so in our movement of life, from what we conceive of as the past to the present and into the future, the present could be interpreted amongst the many ways as a constant revelation in our life of a juncture, a crossroad. Sometimes the impact of the old sometimes favorably moves us in one way, sometimes unfavorably moves us in another way, but certainly the impact of the old seems to easily and perhaps too frequently shape the direction. And so sometimes we imagine, I am directing my life. I am in control of my life. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. And the I, in its incredible capacity loves to take credit for everything. <laughs> takes credit for success and takes credit for failure. And in that this I says, I know, I know where I'm going, I'm in control, etc, etc. And what might be is that the influences, the patterns of the past, healthy and unhealthy, are just moving through one's being and up pops the eye, and it imagines it's got choice. I could do this, that's one pattern, but I could do that, which is another pattern, but I could do something else, or maybe I'll do that instead. So right in this juncture called the living present, I pops it up, various influences accelerating into the present, multiple choices, massive confusion, and our society says, freedom of choice. <laughs> another, which is another way of saying freedom to be pushed and pulled around by this variety of tendencies rationalizes freedom. We mustn't interfere with our choices. I am not sure if that's freedom at all. I think it's a product of circumstances. So then we begin to ask, we're looking at the present, we might today be regarding it as some kind of crossroads. Then we start making a shift. The very fact of your willingness to come here and spend some time here, it might be a very brief time, three days, but in your willingness to come and be here, I interpret that as already 
a kind of movement, a kind of shift. Just flash back to what you were doing yesterday and the day before and the day before. The probability is that you weren't sitting cross-legged navel-gazing. <laughs> and I hope it won't be a life sentence. So in this situation, there is a shift. But the shift which goes with it, and it's a useful shift, and some of us have made a career out of this shift anyway. So in this, <laughs> in this shift which is taking place, there is still the movement and the movement then comes to consciousness, understandably, and the consciousness is still human doing. The end, the specifics of the results of that doing, sometimes, this is important now, sometimes appear far, far away. Sometimes, in some of the traditions, like in the Tibetan Mahayana tradition, they will speak, say, of Buddhahood or whatever. The sense, the message that one gets in that religious framework of language, that it's, we're completely lost causes at the moment, and Buddhahood is going to be eons way down the line if we practice our Lamrim, if we practice our teachings hard enough and long enough. It is a, a, a view. Some will say, feel, ah, it's not so far away. It is possible. It's perhaps even possible in a lifetime that I can come to a genuine realization and awakening. I've asked myself, do I want to be a free human being and not live in the shadow of the old? And I have said yes to that. And perhaps in this lifetime, it is possible. And sometimes, in the movement of doing, and in the results which come, or the experiences or the, which come, sometimes the doing and the results seem quite close together. I meditate, I observe, I, I look into things, I reflect on my existence in life, or I'm touched spontaneously by some event, or a joy, or a wonder, or, or love, or a gratitude, or a understanding about something. And so the doing mode, what I'm doing, seems to be actually bearing a fruit right at this juncture. And there are people here, believe it or not, today, who have had a very wonderful day. People who have appreciated today that life is more than a pair of knees. <laughs> Actually, in here, in here, not when they get out. So sometimes we think in our situation of being in here, cross-legged or on the chair or the stool, that life is nothing but what's going on on that little corner between the thigh and the calf muscles. Is that any different from being stuck in other things? So as I say, what, what can and understandably takes place is sometimes is there is a shift from the force of the pattern 
to a much more refined pattern, but it still reflects it, perhaps more subtly and valuably, in the form of doing. And then we look at this, we think, right now I'm here and I'm sitting, what I'm doing is listening to this talk. It might be a long day, and one has g gave it up 10 or 15 minutes ago, so one is not doing that. So one says, now I have to go to do the walking. Now I should go back and do some sitting. So the very thought, the very concept around the activity, humanly enough, perpetuates the notion of human doing. Where's the being in all of this doing? So then we begin to question, and then we look at this a little bit more closely, a little bit more attentively. And when we begin to think about ourselves, and we begin to think about our life, we think about it in terms, frequently, of what I have done, what I am doing, and what I want to do in the future. And everybody else is talking, you can have a conversation with, with somebody in, in uh, one of your local diners. Say, hello, how are you? What do you do? Oh, really? What I do is, oh, how long have you been doing that? Oh, <laughs> interesting, etc. So within the fabric of the concept, this keeps repeating itself, repeating itself, repeating itself. And because we're impressionable human beings all through our life, we never get out of adolescence. Because we're, <laughs> because we're so impre impressionable, we get impressed with people who do a lot. We secretly, we envy them. Oh, they've done so much with their life have achieved so much, acquired so much, completed so much. So it's riddled, this doing, with wanting, jealousies, envies, dissatisfaction, more, more, fear, agitation. It, it's a hotpotch of frustration. And then we stop, just for a moment, just one moment, one moment in a whole life of doings. We just stop for a, a single moment. We say, my goodness me, my, identi my identity is bound up with my doing. Who I am is what I do. Is that how it is? I've I just been um, coming from uh, um, uh, England, the... Um, internationally known as the poor cousins of North America. Um, I, I see that we're um, still continuing to um, 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 export some of our geriatric rock groups over here for uh, <laughs> uh, some, to do some uh, gigs. And um, I was to told uh, that um, quite recently in uh, Oakland, of course, not so far from here, that the, uh, the Who have uh, been smashing up their instruments if, <laughs> if they've got the strength left to do it. 
And I think one could dwell in a very contemplative and profoundly spiritual way on the who. <laughs> and perhaps relate it to, our, to ourselves as sometimes geriatric meditators. So there's this questioning of the I arising, identity, doing, striving and goals being very much tied up with that package and it seems like there's actually no alternative to it. And this is when the fear can really get mobilized. Is there anything else but what I do? And when we begin to stop and meditation is another word for stopping. What can be with us is that not doing seems so unfamiliar and uncertain that we'd rather cling to the idea in life of going somewhere and all that's entailed with that than the willingness to stop and ask, what about going nowhere? And just the, the, the allowance of such a question to the complement of going somewhere, of going nowhere, may trigger for some, some very unpleasant, uncomfortable, difficult sensations, because it's, it's a revolutionary question to ask. Going nowhere. Jesus has a lovely statement, first line of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the rich in spirit, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the religious language saying the same thing. What does it mean going nowhere? Really going nowhere. So we look, we stop and we look into, in, into this and we see that with the doing mode which takes place with the formation of doing and the changes which might come from one form of doing to another, what's, what is actually observed? What makes it fearful? What makes this change from the old to the new, and the new will become old, but to the old, what makes that fearful? Have you ever stopped to look into it? Not, not cleverly, you know, not with your books and, your, and the knowledge and the PhDs, but with your guts. What makes the change appear difficult? It appears difficult not because of itself, because I don't believe there is such a thing as difficulty in life, true or natural life, <laughs> but what appears this is that the differences seem great. Do you understand? The old has been, one's looked at this, says I want to make a change, and the new seems so different from the old. All that one can perceive between the old and the new is differences. And with the acceleration of differences, fear goes, oh, no thank you. Stay with the devil you know. But I wonder if we were to allow ourselves to face that duality of this against that, 
this apparently versus that. And instead of seeing it dualistically means this against that, which is what competitive societies are hold, I won't go into all that. So this against that. What about looking at, instead of differences, looking at it similar? What might be the similar, what might be the link, the relationship, the mutual support, the interdependency between what I know, the change I need to make, and the next step? And if we begin to look and link that up, fear is, it's not, hasn't got its grip. It can't hold us up unless we perceive major differences and we imagine that's the truth. Therefore, the whole concept of difficulty in life is nothing more than a concept of the way things are. Then we begin to explore. There's so much to, in these things to look into. Let's look, take the day. Let's, let's take our experience of today. The experience of, of today We've noticed there have been, and perhaps as a general thought, an idea of doing. We say, it's been a long day. I started off at six in the morning, and I've had to go through the whole of the day, and now I reach this point. In the very course of today, we could also say, in a way, we haven't done anything. If you were to go home now, as you might be inclined to do after this talk, <laughs> and, and somebody said, well, what did you do there? Mm, wow. Mm. I might feel a little uncomfortable saying, well, I walked into a round room and I sat on the floor and I got up and I walked in a courtyard. Then I walked back and, then, and the person might say to you, I knew you were odd. <laughs> I mean, it, yes, I've always thought this. Mm. Because what one is communicating to that person in a way that one's had this day, this longest day of one's life, <laughs> and we're always complaining that life goes by very quickly, have you noticed? And then when it really goes slowly, it's a really long day, we're complaining the other way. It's never settled. Anyway, so one's had this day, and one could say, well, I haven't gone anywhere today. I haven't been, I have not been going anywhere today, and I haven't really done anything today, and I haven't really achieved anything, and I'm not really going somewhere. And I wonder, in the intimations of that, because, as I say, meditation can disturb, it can unsettle, but it can be a wonderful pointer as well, that perhaps for you and I, in our society, in our culture, and in our time of our life today, we might find it useful 
to liberate ourselves at least enough just in, to get a sense of we're not going anywhere really. That going somewhere and going nowhere is not really separate from each other. Where on earth can we go? Does the light stop coming to the eyes? Do the sounds stop coming to the ears? Do the temperature and the body sensations stop coming to the body? Does the smell stop coming to the nose? Does the taste stop coming to the tongue? Does the feelings and the thoughts and the ideas and the insights and the meditations and the mindfulnesses and the wandering mind and the non-wandering mind, where can we go? Where is there to go? As I say, this, it is revolutionary. Revolutionary insofar as if we are focused on doing, there will be no peace in life. Please, please understand that. If we're focused on striving, there'll be no joy in life. If we're focused on getting what we want, there'll be no happiness and wonder in life. If we're obsessed with getting what we want, we will be eternally miserable. So I say, going nowhere is not separate and not apart from going somewhere. I say that going nowhere is something to really look into, to really explore what that means, what, what, is the, what can be revealed in that, what the wonder of that is. And if we bring going nowhere and give it the same sense, the same consideration, the same degree of interest as going somewhere, then I think awakening is right on our doorstep, right in our heart already. I'm not teaching the teaching of not doing and not doing anything in one's life. Those of you who know me will know, know that well enough and my various commitments and actions in life. I'm saying I'm speaking of a teaching of revelation and liberation in which the differences between going somewhere and going nowhere are actually none but the same. sharing the same everlasting nature. I wonder if the time that we're here, that we would be willing to look into that. That when you walk into this room in here and sit down, you let the idea of going nowhere sit with you, doing nothing special whatsoever. Just sitting here, sitting on the earth. When you get up and you, you go for a, a, a walk, 
not with an idea of going for a walk to do something to get to some destination or whatever. You're just being there with that situation. You're nobody special. You've left all your baggage behind, the various roles and all of that, and you're just there going nowhere. And you let yourself feel that. You let, you let your sensations kind of intimate all, all, all of that. There's nowhere to go. And you, and you give it a, uh, you cherish that idea, and you let that, as it were, take as deep a root, just as deep a root as you've per been permitted or indoctrinated into taking the root that you're only known through your identity, through your doing and your successes. Then I say liberation is very close. Not in bondage to action and not in bondage to being passive. Not in bondage to acquiring, not in bondage to efforting to get rid of. Because one has stared the two actualities of our existence that are mutually dependent and mutually supportive of going somewhere and going nowhere and put them right out there in front and looked at them wholeheartedly. So thoroughly and intimately that the idea that there's a real difference between the two is just a perpetuation of a mythology. There's a great freedom in life. Free to play, free to be, free to move, free not to move, because one has stopped and looked at it. And one hasn't just shifted the, the consumer goals into the spiritual goals and, be, and done the same thing and become a prisoner to it. Going nowhere matters beautifully and wonderfully. Not less than going somewhere. In the Zen tradition, they have a, a one-liner and it's used widely in, the, in the, the Buddhist tradition, and many of you uh, will know um, of it. And it says, if I remember the words precisely, it says, spring comes and green grass grows by itself. And quite often those who have heard this one line have kind of, ah oh yes, it's very sweet, nod of approval, for this spring comes, green grass grows by itself. And sometimes, if I may say, when I'm writing to friends of mine, I write, spring comes and green grass doesn't grow by itself. What's that saying? So sometimes, 
when we say spring comes and green grass grows by itself, we think and we imagine in the form of I can achieve this, I can do this, I have to do this, I have to do it by myself. And in a society of strong individualism, this I arises very constantly with this, I have to do. But is it that green grass grows by itself, or is it that in really it doesn't? It needs the water, and the air, and the earth, and the temperature, and the support. It needs all of that for that to take place. And I think if we can get a sense of that, we won't be so ambitious and competitive with ourselves that I have to do this because we'll have questioned this I-doing mode and we will see grass doesn't grow by itself and a blade of grass isn't in competition with the next blade of grass. And that events happen together. And perhaps, perhaps, if we can just be dormant, like the beginning of spring, not going somewhere, going nowhere, in the togetherness of it all, then perhaps there's an opportunity for some wonderful awakening. So going somewhere, going nowhere. Not same, not different. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be liberated. May all beings abide with wonder. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together. Please, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.